listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading for today is Mark 4, 10 through 12, and 21 through 25. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive, and may indeed listen, but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given you. For those who have, more will be given, and from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thanks for that reading, Carrie. So earlier this week, uh, it was snowing, and I got really excited. Um, and I was, I was planning to start off this sermon by asking who's in the Christmas spirit. But then yesterday, it was 64 degrees, and a tree fell on my house. <laughs> so, uh, bah humbug, I guess. Um, <clears throat> It's still Advent, though. Um, It's still the Christmas season. Christ is still coming, praise God. Um, And we are still in our Advent teaching series. Uh, For the past few weeks now, we've been working our way through these parables of Jesus, these stories Jesus tells in Mark chapter 4. And uh, you might have noticed already, you might have caught on to this, but we haven't exactly been going straight through this section of Scripture. We've kind of been skipping around a little bit. Um, We actually skipped two big chunks of this chapter, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, we looked at the seed parables. Um, We talked about how they point us to this kingdom reality uh, God is bringing into the world through Christ, this upside-down kingdom where the weak are lifted up, uh, the powerful are humbled, where God comes to reside with God's people on earth as it is in heaven and to establish justice. We also talked about uh, the parable of the sower a couple weeks ago, which is this story explaining the hard truth that not everyone is going to be on board with this radical upside-down kingdom reality Jesus is bringing into the world. And the two passages we're looking at today try to get into why that is. Why are some people going to miss this, and what should our response be? Let's read our passages again, um, just to kind of reorient ourselves. The first uh, is Mark 4, verses 10 to 12. Should be up on the screen. When Jesus was alone, those who were around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive and may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. 
interesting, <laughs> potentially problematic, but we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into it. Um, but first, just to kind of show you where this passage is found, just to kind of lay out the context, I want to outline Mark chapter 4 for us briefly. The chapter starts with Jesus addressing the crowd. This is where he tells them the parable of the sower. Next slide. There we go. Perfect. Starts with the parable of the sower. That's Mark 4, verses 1 to 9. There's not going to be a test, though, so you don't have to memorize any of this. Um, That's where it begins. Then we get the section I just read, where Jesus is alone with his disciples, and he explains why he uses parables. That's the whole part about so they will look but not perceive, hear but not understand, um, all of that. Then we get Jesus' interpretation of the parable of the sower. That's uh, the interpretation we looked at a few weeks back about what all the soils mean. You've got the rocky soil and the thorns, all of that. Uh, Jesus explains the parable of the sower to the disciples in private, away from the crowds still. Then we get the next half of our reading for today, Mark 4, verses 21 to 25. I'll read it for you. He said to them, this is still Jesus addressing the disciples in private, is a lamp brought in to be put under the bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given you. For to those who have, more will be given, and from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. (laughs) That's troubling, right? (laughs) We're going to get to it, though. We're we're going to get into this. Um, So so the next thing we've got is, is that mess, the parable of the lamp. And then... Last but not least, all of a sudden, in verse 26, we're back in front of the crowds, and Jesus tells the last two seed parables that we talked about last week. So we get this part at the very beginning, where Jesus is in front of the crowds, and he's telling a story about farming. Then we get this big, confusing, troubling section in the middle where he's talking to the disciples in private, and then we get the end of the crowd scene with more parables about farming. Does anyone remember what we call this? This is like a month ago, so this, you got to kind of strain. What'd you say? A sandwich. Yes, the fancy academic term for this. You can go to the, you can like put it together, McKenna, the next slide. The fancy academic term for this is a sandwich. Mark likes to do this thing where he'll give us the beginning of a story, Then he'll interrupt the flow to give us another story, and then he'll put us back in the first story. It's called a sandwich. It's a really weird way to tell a story. We've looked at the stories Jesus tells the crowd, the farming stuff in green, but now we're going to get into the meat of this sandwich. What does Jesus have to say to the disciples when they're alone in private? And I'm going to give you a heads up. You've probably already got a, a sense of this, but these two passages are really tricky. These are two of the most confusing, uh, two of the most troubling passages we have from Jesus, probably in the entire Gospels. Um, but we're going to dive into it and um, look again, look again at Jesus' explanation for why he uses parables to see how troubling and potentially problematic this is. Um, verse 11. 
To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything comes in parables in order that they may indeed look but not perceive, listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. That's pretty messed up, right? It's like, come on, Jesus, not very inclusive of you. He's basically saying that he uses parables to hide this kingdom of God reality, this mystery, from certain people so that they won't turn and be forgiven. There's a whole movement. There's a whole, like, theological tradition in the church that took this idea and ran with it. It's called Calvinism. By show of hands, how many of us have ever heard of Calvinism? A lot of us. Awesome. Um, Calvinism is a theological movement named after John Calvin. John Calvin was a French uh, church reformer back in the 1500s. Decent-looking guy, killer beard. I'm super jealous of the beard. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's worth noting, um, John Calvin never taught Calvinism. Like, he was not a Calvinist. He would have been pretty full of himself to, to walk around calling himself a Calvinist. Calvinism is based on some of his ideas, but modern-day Calvinists go way beyond anything John Calvin was ever talking about or teaching. According to Calvinism, there is no free will. God is in control of everything, which means that if you're here today, uh, if you're a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're saved, it's not because of anything you did, it's not because of anything you decided, any experience you had, any prayer you prayed. According to Calvinism, you're only here following Jesus because God chose you from the foundation of the world. Which, I mean, congratulations. <laughs> um, but, but according to Calvinism, like back when God was creating the first helium atom, you know, God was like, uh, Dick's gonna get in. Like, that, that's basic. Congratulations, Dick. You were chosen from before time. But according to this perspective, that's how it works. There's no free will. You can't do anything to earn salvation. You can't do anything to save yourself. You're only in this because God chose to include you. But there's a flip side to that. The dark flip side of Calvinism is that if you're not in here, if you're not a believer, if you're not part of the church, if you're not saved, that's because God chose from the foundation of time to exclude you. I've shared my story in here before. I know a number of you have heard this already. Um, but I grew up in a spiritually divided home. Um, growing up, my mom was a Christian. Um, she served in ministry for 20 years, raised me in church, but my dad is an atheist. My dad is not religious. In fact, he is pretty uh, anti-religion. Some of my earliest memories are of my parents fighting over whether or not I could go to church. I would go to church with my mom as a kid, and I'd come home and I'd like excitedly tell my dad all the things I'd learned in Sunday school, only for him to be like, you know that's all BS, right? All that stuff you're hearing in church, all that odd talk your mom's always going on about, none of it's real. Did God choose my mom and exclude my dad from the foundation of time? Is that how this works? <laughs> 
I know most of us, probably all of us, know people who aren't Christians for whatever reason. Maybe they're not religious. Uh, maybe they're just not on board. Maybe they're atheists and they have intellectual problems with faith. Maybe you know someone who was raised in church, but at some point they were hurt by the church and so they lost their faith. According to Calvinism, all those friends, those family members, those neighbors who never heard the message of Jesus, were hurt by the church, whatever, according to Calvinism, all those people were condemned by God before the foundation of time. This is not a Calvinist church, by the way, if you couldn't tell. Um, I mean, we are Baptists, so I mean, you know, you can believe basically what you want to believe. Personal conviction is kind of our thing. Um, But this is not a Calvinist church. Calvinism is not our tradition. I'm not a Calvinist. You're never going to hear me affirm Calvinism from the pulpit. Um, But going back to our passage, you can kind of see how Calvinists get there, right? Jesus sounds like a Calvinist in this passage at face value. I think we got it on the next slide, maybe. Do we have it in there again? Yeah. At face value, this looks like Calvinism. But if you go one layer deeper, that all starts to fall apart. First thing to notice in this passage is that Jesus is quoting something. That happy little poem about, you know, listening but not hearing, um, withholding forgiveness, that's a quote from the Old Testament. It's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. It's the call of Isaiah. When God commissions the prophet Isaiah to become a prophet, some of you might know this story. It's the one where an angel takes a coal off the altar in heaven and touches it to Isaiah's mouth, purifying his lips so he can speak God's message to the people. Isaiah is going to deliver the words of God to God's people, but there's a catch. The people aren't going to listen to him. God's people, the spiritual insiders, the ones who were sitting in the pews, saying all the prayers, singing all the songs, they're so distracted by wealth and power, and other things that they're not going to hear the message God is giving Isaiah to send them. So this is what God tells Isaiah. It's Isaiah 6, starting about halfway through verse 9. Go and say this to the people. Keep listening, but do not comprehend. Keep looking, but do not understand. Make the minds of this people dull. Stop their ears, shut their eyes, so that they may not look with their eyes and listen with their ears and comprehend with their minds and turn and be healed or forgiven, depending on your translation. That's the passage Jesus is quoting. God's telling the prophet Isaiah, the people aren't going to listen to you, but go tell them anyway. If they won't listen, tell them to stop up their ears and shut their eyes. Ignore the message because they're not going to listen either way. That's what Jesus is referencing. That's what he's hyperlinking back to when he explains his reason for teaching in parables. He hearkens back to the prophet Isaiah because guess what? The religious insiders... The priests, the religious scholars, the church people of Jesus' day, they didn't listen to Jesus either. The powerful, 
the elite, the comfortable, they didn't hear Jesus' message about God's kingdom because they were too invested in the kingdoms of the world. This is not Calvinism. This is not some predetermined outcome that affirms insiders and excludes everyone else. This is a wake-up call to anyone who thinks they're in. The religious insiders of Isaiah's day missed it. The religious insiders of Jesus' day missed it. A lot of the religious insiders, the self-proclaimed Christians of our day, are missing it. They're missing out on this new reality Jesus is pointing to because they're too invested in the world as it is. They're so attached. Often we're so attached to the world as it already exists that we can't imagine anything better. See, the way the parables work, what Jesus is saying here is they give you a glimpse. They give you a taste of that kingdom reality. If you're hungry for it, if you're an outsider, if you're someone who is ready for God to show up and turn the world upside down, that taste is gonna wake up something in you. It's gonna stir something, you're gonna want more. But if you're not open to this upside down reality, because the way of the world works for you, then that little taste is gonna do nothing for you. And the parable will actually hide the mystery of God's kingdom, and you'll miss it because you weren't looking for it. This is what Jesus is getting at <clears throat> later in this passage when he, uh, he says in verse 24, I think we've got this one up here too, pay attention to what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get. For those who have, more will be given, and from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. If you're listening, if you're hungry for the message of Jesus, the parables are gonna turn you on to a whole new way of being human. But if you're not hungry for it, if you're satisfied already, if you don't have that little hunger, then even any trace of hunger you have is going to be taken away. Are we tracking with this so far? I know this is deep. But, like, I'm up here, like, shaking. <laughs> this messed me up this week. Like, reading this passage, diving into it, uh, it gave me hope. It got me ex uh, excited. It scared the crap out of me a little bit. What are we supposed to do with all this? <clears throat> What's the takeaway? Um, the parables are pointing us to this upside-down reality that uh, not everyone's going to be on board with, and the parables themselves hide that reality from people who aren't ready for them. What do we do with that? Um, I did land on some takeaways to help, help us kind of crystallize things, make it a little more concrete. <clears throat> First one, we need to realize, we need to accept, might be a better way to put it, that not everyone is going to get it. Not everyone is going to be on board with the Jesus thing. This kingdom of God reality Jesus is pointing to. If everyone was on board with overturning the present order, it wouldn't be the present order, <laughs> right? Like, duh, obviously. Um, now, the way we often think about this <clears throat> is we fall into tribalism, this sort of us 
and them, insiders, outsiders. The way we usually think about this in the church is that Christians are automatically in, Christians are on board, and non-Christians aren't. I'm not convinced that's how it always works. That's not how it worked for Isaiah and the religious insiders of his day. That's not how it worked for Jesus and the religious insiders of his day, and there are plenty of Christians today who don't seem to have the slightest interest in following Jesus. I think for a lot of us, religion's about affirming our identity, affirming our status, our in-group, and saying to hell with everybody else. That shouldn't surprise us. That's nothing new. That shouldn't move us to become judgmental or jaded. If anything, that should break our hearts when we see that because it breaks God's heart. You can save yourself a lot of uh, mental anguish by realizing that a lot of people are going to miss this. A lot of Christians aren't going to get it. When churches do terrible things to people, when church leaders fail, when it feels like you're being gaslit by other Christians, people who, like, should know better, that shouldn't surprise us. It hurts. It hurts a lot to be at the receiving end of this, but it shouldn't be a surprise because many will listen and they won't hear. Many will look and they won't see. We shouldn't be shocked when spiritual insiders miss the boat. That's what happened to Isaiah. That's what happened to Jesus. And that's our first takeaway. Second takeaway is make sure you're listening. A lot of people are going to miss this. Don't be one of those people. <laughs> um, Jesus warns his disciples to pay attention. He tells them to listen, have ears that hear. And you guys, even with that warning from Jesus, the disciples missed it. They came around after the resurrection when they encountered, encountered Jesus with the holes in his hands and all that, but the disciples missed the empty tomb. Who found Jesus' empty tomb? Mary, a group of women, a group of outsiders who for some reason were not on board with the patriarchal reality of first century Judea. Hmm. They were ready for it. Jesus' followers weren't. We have to check every square inch of our hearts. Anything that could lead us to put someone else down and elevate ourselves, anything we could put our faith in other than Christ can become an idol. Any comfort we have with the world as it is, and you guys, we are a comfortable bunch. I know most of us in this room and watching online probably would not identify ourselves as wealthy, but in the grand scheme of things, in the scope of history, in the scope of the world, we are the elite. Most of us have plenty of food to eat. At least one in ten people can't say that. We have clean water to drink. There are families in Flint, Michigan who can't say that. We have roads, homes with heat, modern medicine. Most kings, most wealthy, most nobility from history didn't have any of that. Julius Caesar would have killed for a bottle of Tylenol. We are so comfortable. 
by and large, the present order works really well for us, which means that we have to keep our ears open wide and our eyes open wide. We have to listen extra close so we don't miss it. We have to be grounding ourselves in the example of Jesus. Uh, One practice I've found that has changed my faith probably more so than just about anything else um, is I try to always be reading through the Gospels and the book of Acts, the first five books of the New Testament. Uh, It's the story of Jesus and the early church. Start in Matthew 1, read a little bit a day, a couple times a week, work your way through it over time. Maybe it takes you a couple months, maybe it takes you a year, whatever, and then when you reach the end of the book of Acts, go back to Matthew 1 and start over. Do that over and over again. We've got to ground ourselves in this story if we're not going to miss it. We've got to learn to recognize Jesus in the lowly and the humble, the small, immigrants, refugees, people at the margins. We need to learn to see Jesus in our friends, our coworkers, that neighbor down the street who has different political views than you. Jesus says, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. Amen. We have to keep our eyes open wide for those little glimpses of the kingdom, that opportunity to reconcile with an enemy or to restore someone's faith. That's what it looks like to embody this upside-down kingdom of God reality Jesus is pointing to. So don't miss it. Make sure you're listening. And one more takeaway. Don't ever lose hope because nothing is hidden except to be revealed. It's the one part of the chapter we didn't hit yet. Mark 4, verse 21. Jesus said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel basket or under a bed and not on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. The kingdom of God might be a mystery, but it's not always going to be that way. Jesus told parables to conceal the kingdom from those who weren't ready to hear it, but one day, there's going to be no hiding it. On that final advent, when Christ returns to redeem the world, to set things right, to establish his reign on earth as it is in heaven, on that day, everyone is going to see. The Apostle Paul writes that on that day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Someday, that kingdom mystery is going to be clear for all to see. Because nothing is hidden except to be revealed. You don't light a lamp and stick it under a bed to hide it. You put it on a lampstand and you let that light shine. Let your light shine. Don't keep it a secret. The mystery of God's kingdom is out among us, and we are invited to tell everyone. So let that light shine. Our church let that light shine last weekend at the Holiday Lights Parade when we marched down the street with a float that had a manger scene on it and a giant sign that said God's love is for everyone. 
We let that light shine at the gathering table when we feed our neighbors who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Every single one of us is invited to let that light shine by sharing the love and the message of Jesus with the people in our lives. Don't keep it a secret. Not everyone's going to be on board. Sometimes even we are going to struggle to see it and to hear it. But there's always hope. Even for that Christian friend who doesn't get it, that family member who triggers us, even those who've been hurt by the church and had faith ripped away from them, there is always hope, so let your light shine. Nothing is hidden except to be revealed. May the mystery of God's kingdom be present in our hearts and our lives this Advent. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for sending your Son into the world to redeem the world and to inaugurate your upside-down kingdom. And God, we need your help. We need your help to keep our ears open and our eyes open. We need your help not to be distracted or lulled into complacency by our own comfort. So God, we ask that you'd help us to shine that light. Empower us to let that light shine and to share the good news of your kingdom with everyone. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.